And so let's open up to Judges chapter 6. Uh, and so we're going to be sticking here in this one part of Scripture. We're going to be talking about Gideon today. And how his insecurities was not a good reason for God to use him. God used him in incredible ways. And I want us to see uh, how he used Gideon here. So the context here and what we're going to read in Judges chapter 6 is that at this point with the Israelites, uh, they were already walking away from, I mean, they were already far off from God. And so they were winning a ton of battles and a lot of victories. And then what happened is a lot of the Israelite men started marrying uh, Midianite women. And so what ended up happening is that now the Israelites got divided, and, and at this point, you know, the Midianites started to take over Israel. And so now they're oppressed. They're oppressed by the uh, Midianites, and now there's so much trouble going on with God's people because they have let people who worship other gods into their families. And so here in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, uh, we're going we're gonna to share from here. Start from here. So, Judges chapter 6 says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelter for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out, to the Lord for help. I mean, this is intense, right? I mean, there's so much oppression. And what oppression actually means, it means prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. And so that's what the Midianites did to the Israelites. And now, it's gotten to a point where it's gotten so bad. I mean, the Israelites were just so oppressed that they said, you know what? We need God. <laughs> right? You know, it got so bad that they actually started to realize how much they needed the Lord. You know, and, and that's why they were in mountains and caves and mountains, all these different places, just hiding from the Midianites. Because they were just so far off from God's commands. And things have gotten so bad. You know, when I think about this story, I think about a time in my life. So I remember two years ago, I was, uh, I was in the Panera, you know, eating a sandwich. And it's, it's, it's going to get somewhere. So I was looking there, I was eating the sandwich, and I don't know, but the, I didn't have any lettuce on it, because you know, lettuce is a little crunchy, you know? And I just started biting on this, it just started getting crunchy I've been eating the sandwich, so I'm like, hmm, I didn't have any lettuce on here, you know, this bread is kind of, is the bread bad? Like, what's going on? So I'm like, alright, it still tastes good, I'm still chewing on it. And so, and then after a couple bites, I'm like, you know, something ain't right. And so... I, I literally take a napkin and I'm like dabbing and there's like blood and like in my mouth and I'm just like what is this and so what happened was like one of my a tooth just literally broke um, and yeah if there's any dentists in the house we can please talk because I actually just moved here I'm gonna need some insurance but it was it was it was pretty shocking I was like whoa so I went to the bathroom cleaned up and everything. And then after that, 
I'm like, man, I gotta take care. Of, I gotta take care of my teeth. I can't let this happen again. And so I said that, but I just I still kept ignoring it because I was like, well, it's not painful, so I'm gonna wait till it gets painful in order to you know, go to the dentist. So I just kept it there for like another six months. I just didn't. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, and so, and I remember one day I woke up in so much pain. So much pain. I mean, has anyone had nerve pain from a toothache? This is no joke. I mean, the pain is excruciating. And so, I heard getting up and just feeling terrible. I couldn't get out of my bed. I was screaming. Like, I was yelling. Uh, and it was great. You, you know, my roommates came in and said, what's wrong? What's going on? And I was like, man, I can't. I'm just in so much pain. My head was throbbing. It was bad. So I went to the, I went to the dentist, and I was, it was recommended to go to a dentist that's at a university because they have, uh, it, it's the best rates there if you actually go to a school with a bunch of, you know, student teachers that are learning how to, you know, deal with teeth and stuff. So I was like, all right, that's in my budget. So I went, and I got there, and, and uh, I gave them all my information and everything, and then they, you know, an hour went by, and they didn't call my name, right? And so I'm like, all right, an hour, all right, it's not bad. It's like similar to DMV. I've been there before. So, and then another 30 minutes come by, and I'm like, in pain. And I'm like, all right, this isn't right. So I'll go up there, and I was like, hey, you know, my name is Charles. I don't know if you guys called me yet. And literally, they mixed my name up with somebody else. Uh, so there was another guy named, I think it was Derek or something, that they had under my name for some reason. And so I was like, all right, well, we'll take you in right now. And so I go in, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. And so they sit me down and everything. <laughs> and then they're, they're doing the x-ray, right? So they're doing the x-ray in my mouth. And, and so once they got the x-ray, they came back. And again, they never fixed my name. And so <laughs> they came back just to find out that there was this other guy named Derek that they put all my x-rays under, right? And so... I'm literally in pain, and you know, they're just chilling, like, oh, you know what, yeah, you know, that's true, you know, how about you just go back there, I'll be back in like 10 minutes, it's just like, you know, like, doctors are just, ca- you know, they're just chilling, the dentist is just chilling, you know, and I'm like, in so much pain, uh, but you know, there's grace at the same time, because, you know, there's a lot of more students, they're trying to learn the system, and I decided to go there, so, <laughs> I gotta deal with that, right, and so we're going again and again, and and then I get sent to this other office, and then they actually extract the tooth out, you know. And, uh, which wasn't painful, but I'll tell you what, when the tooth got out, there was this sign of relief. Of just, I mean, the tooth was ugly when I looked at it, but man, the relief was just so amazing. I was like, wow, and I just walked out of there. Man, I paid like 80 bucks. That was it, like $80. Came out of there, and that just felt great, you know. But I'm like... Why didn't I do that sooner? <laughs> you know, like why didn't I go to the dentist, get it all done? I wouldn't have to deal with all this sooner. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we wait so long for things to get so bad to call out to God for help. And that's what we see with the Israelites. They've gotten so oppressed. They got so bad. It got so bad that they finally decided, "All right, God, we need you." And sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes things in our life have to get so bad for us to wake up. And for us to realize, man, God, I need you. This is where the Israelites are at. Verse 7. It says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. So the Lord listens to them. He's like, all right, I'm going to send a prophet. And so that must be exciting, right? (laughs) So he sends a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the land, from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Okay, so they're crying out to God, Lord, help us. God's like, all right, amen, I'm going to send a prophet. And they were thinking, you know, they were going to be rescued and everything. And all the prophet tells them is that, this is what God says, is that I've saved you. I've helped you. We've been victorious so many times, but you did not listen to me. I'm sure they wasn't expecting that. They were probably expecting God to just bring this, this, this deliverance at that moment. But God wanted them to know that you guys walked away from my commands. This is why you're in the place that you're at today. And, and God's always doing is reminding them of how many times they were victorious together. He's reminding them, like, remember how, we, how I took you out of Egypt? And God is over and over again trying to remind us of how much He's already done for us and trying to bring us back. And I'm sure that when He said that, I'm sure the Israelites were probably like, okay, true. All right, God, you know, you, that's true. You took us out of Egypt. You know, we, we got out of that mess and those different things. Um, but you're still going to help us, right? Like, you're, you're still going to help us out of this situation. Right, God? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to do that. <laughs> and so, th- that's what God's doing. He's like, he's seeing how oppressed they are, but he wants them to know that this is the reason why. God gives us clear reasons as to why life is the way it is. We have the Bible, we have the scriptures, and God tells us exactly what we need to know. What good God would not tell you the situation that you're in? That would not be clear about the oppression that you received? And you might be thinking about, okay, this is oppression. This is the Israelites. This is the Old Testament. What does oppression have to do with me? And the question I have for you is, just look around. You know, just look around the world today. Sin has oppressed our world. You know, look at your neighborhood. Sin has oppressed our world. I mean, how many disciples are in your neighborhood? How many lights are there shining there? Sin has oppressed our, our neighborhood. What about your school? You go on the campuses or your high schools today. Sin has oppressed our world today. What about the division that we see in the world today? The racism, the separation, the, the injustice that we see. Sin has oppressed our world. Guys, this story is our story. This story is our story. It's no different for the Israelites because when we look at our world today, the world is oppressed by sin. But guess what? God, God still wants to help us. God never gives up on us. But, but see, here's the problem with the Israelites. The problem with the Israelites is that they wanted help, but they didn't want a relationship. And, and that's the problem with the world today. God, help me with this. God, I'm praying for this. Help me with this. Give me this job. Give me this, this wife or this husband. Give me this job. Give me everything. Take all my problems away. But a relationship, I don't want that. But fix my problems. But a relationship, I don't want that. This, this, is what God, this is what God is saying to the Israelites. Amen? Is that He wants a relationship. And how does God feel about that? He's just like, 
Look, I, I thought we were going to face those issues together. I, I didn't want those problems in your life to make you feel discouraged. I wanted to take on these issues together. I always wanted to be one with you. But yet you're doing it without me. And I just want to do it with you. That's all God's saying. He doesn't want to lay the hammer down on us. He just wants to go through life with us. He wants us to be victorious with Him. He wants us to go through these moments in life together. That's what God desires. Let's look at, we don't have to turn there, but Joel chapter 2 verse 13. I'm just going to read these scriptures that talk about the character of God and who He is. Even as far as the Israelites were this far off. In Joel 2 verse 13 it says, Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. It's Joel 2 verse 13. Psalm 103 verse 8 to 12. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that encouraging? It says that God doesn't treat us as our sins to serve. God doesn't harbor His anger forever. God is merciful, compassionate. It says that He's filled with unfailing love. He doesn't repay us for what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. It's just amazing that this is the character of God. And I'll be honest with you guys, I, that was one of the most challenging things for me to learn about God. Because I tell you, most of my life, I, what, what made me feel, you know, valued in those different things was I got that from so many other different things other than God. You know, so, you know, if I did something wrong, I was punished for it. You know, if I didn't measure up to what I was supposed to measure up to, I was talked down at. You know, I was bullied growing up as a kid. For me to get this concept of God that He's gracious, that He gives us what our sins don't deserve, you know, doesn't give us what our sins deserve. Let's be honest, guys. Is that easy to believe? Oh, no, absolutely not. Because we've been treated by our world in a way that we're not valuable. And that we, we, we need to measure up. What was amazing about God is He has this amazing love. That even when we mess up time and time again, He rescues us time and time again. Amen? Let's talk for God on that. Like, that's amazing. And now, God begins to work on the behalf of His people whom He loves. And I forgot to tell you guys, but that, that was point number one, by the way. <laughs> I forgot to say that. But point number one, from everything I just shared, was see the reality. Okay, that was the point. Point number one, see the reality. Now, going to point number two, is see the call. Alright, see the reality is point number one. Now, going to point number two, see the call. And now we're going to look at the call of Gideon. Uh, more deeper. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. You guys with me? Yeah. Alright, thanks. Amen. John 6, verse 11. It says, The angel 
of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of... Man, I thought Oprah was in the Bible. What was that? Oprah? Okay. That belonged to Joash the Azurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so here, Gideon, what he's doing here is he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay? And there's a reason why he's doing that. And I know a lot of people here are in, you know, from the city, grew up in the city and stuff. And so, has anyone here seen the threshing floor before? Anybody? Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I thought no one saw a threshing floor. So I'm going to explain what a threshing floor is. And so a threshing floor was where you would go to in order to gather wheat for harvest, right? And so a threshing floor would be about the size of this stage here, right? From one side to the other. And what they would do, they would bring in wheat, and you would have these nunchuck-looking things. So it's a piece of wood, and then a chain, and another piece of wood together. And what you would do with the wheat on the threshing floor is that you would just literally whack the floor. Like, just whack it. A lot of you guys as kids will love this job, by the way. So, just whacking the floor over and over again until the wheat is just dispersed everywhere. And so what you would do is you would take these huge uh, pitchforks and you would get, get the wheat, throw it up, and what happened is the wind would blow the shaft out. And then you would have wheat. And that's how, you know, that's how they used the threshing floors to do, and that's how you would have wheat. And so this wheat would actually, this for Gideon, wheat was actually his income. That's what he used to make money and, and take care of his family and all those different things. And so as we know, the Midianites took that away. And so now he's in this wine press. Now, anyone knows what a wine press is? Okay. So a wine press is about the size of a jacuzzi, maybe a normal jacuzzi, something like that. And then it has holes on the bottom. And what happens is you put grapes in it, okay? And then what do you do after you put the grapes in it? Whoa, whoa. You gotta wash your feet first. Oh, first you gotta wash your feet, alright? Nobody wanna be tasting no feet, alright? So, you wash your feet first, and then you go inside and you stop the grapes out, okay? And so, you would stop the grapes out and then it would produce the wine. And so, but the reason why I'm sharing that is that why would Gideon be threshing wheat in a wine press? Why would Gideon, why is he doing that? It's because the Midianites took everything that he had. I, I can just imagine Gideon, he was just in that wine press crying. Because everything was taken away from him. He was in the most roughest spot of his life. He couldn't provide for his family, he couldn't bring in the harvest. Everything was taken away from him. And that's how bad of a position Gideon was in. What was amazing about this is that. God intervenes and he talks to Gideon and he calls him he says I am with you mighty warrior how would you be feeling if you were in Gideon's shoes in that wine press struggling and the Lord said to you I am with you mighty warrior would you believe that <laughs> find out right I mean he's in a tough situation and and this is exactly what God does. He goes up to Gideon and he tells him, you know, I'm with you, mighty warrior. I want to raise you up so you can win my people back. That is the vision that God had. And that's, that's what God wants to do in your life. Because let's be honest, how much has sin taken away from your life? 
How much has sin done in your life? It's stolen a lot from us. It's stolen so much of what God wanted to bless us with. Sin has taken so much, it's oppressed us in so many ways. And God's plan is, I want to give you your land back. I want to bring back, I want to restore your life to the way I intended it. Guys, this story is our story. What Gideon has gone through when he's done, he's, he's, he's receiving the call from God to win back his people. And how do you think Gideon responds? Oh Lord, you know, I'm sorry, but you got the wrong address. <laughs> you know, what, you talking about my man down the street or something like that? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, Gideon, he, he, listen, let's look at verse 13. This is what he says. Uh, pardon me, my Lord. Um, <laughs> Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I mean, look at Gideon's heart there. He's just so discouraged. He's like, if the Lord is with you, ever find yourself in that If the Lord is with us, then why this? Why that? Gideon, in that same position. And you know what? He had to really be hurting for him to say, because I think this was kind of bold for him to say. Well, if the Lord is with us, do he have any idea who he's talking to? <laughs> he's talking to God, right? That's like, that's kind of bold too, but you can tell that Gideon's heart was in such a place of hopelessness. And you know what? And that's what happens in the world today. You know, we, we see the things around us and we're just like, that's just the way it is. You know, that's, that's Gideon's heart. He's just like, look, this is what's been happening. That's just the way it is. I mean, you drive through the streets, you go up and down your block, you know, you see the pain and you see the suffering. Right? You see the godlessness. You see the lack of faith, the lack of righteousness. You know, and I, and I really believe that there's people even gen, that are generally trying to do what's right, but they're just sheep without a shepherd. And there's people who are just generally trying to do what's right, but they just still can't get over the hump. The truth is, the, the world is has fallen to this place of this is just the way it is. And that's where Gideon was at. It was so hard for him to wrap his mind around the fact that God still had a vision. That God still had a vision. And God, that's my encouragement to you. Is God has a vision for your life. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. Let's be real. We all got challenges. We all got things going on in our life. But guess what? God still has a vision for you. And I want to go through some things that God has a dream for in your life. You know, God has a dream for your family to become disciples. You know, He has a dream that your no matter where it's at. You know, maybe your kids feel like they're just, you know, they're just disobedient. You know, they're not listening, they're rebellious, all these different things. But God still has a dream for your family. Still has a dream for your kids. You know, God has a dream for all the campuses in the Bronx to be evangelized. And for them to really get to know Jesus. God still has a dream. Teens, God has a dream for you. That you will make a decision to follow Jesus one day. You might be looking at your life right now like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can really take that step of faith. But God still has a vision for you and a dream for you. God has a dream for you at your job. He believes. It is no mistake that you're working where you're working at right now. He has a dream to use you because he's calling you mighty warrior to stand up and be a light in your job. 
Even when your CEO gets on your nerves and your boss just can't stop nagging, he still has a dream for him and for you to be the light at your job. And lastly, God has a dream to see everyone who walked away from the faith to come back. God has a dream to see everyone who walked away from God to come back. Guys, this is the perspective of God that I'm talking about. He doesn't see the what's happening now. He's seeing what could happen. He's seeing through what he can do and use you. And that's exactly what we see with Gideon. And let's go to uh, verse 14. It says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You ever feel like you just don't have what it takes to really do something that God called you to do? I mean, like, that's exactly where Gideon was at. He couldn't wrap his mind around that that amount of faith. But, you know, God's answer to it was, just go with what you have. Just go with the strength you have. You don't have to be a master. Look, if you've never studied the Bible with somebody, just go with the one scripture you know. Go in there. God said, look, just go with the strength you have. Any situation, just go with the strength you have. I'm going to take care of everything else. And that's what he's telling Gideon. And what's required of us is very simple. Just go. That's it. That's the only thing that God requires. It's just faith and just go. Go in the strength you have. Don't worry about how much you been, haven't been trained enough. Don't worry about all these different other things that you haven't experienced yet. God's like, go in the strength you have. And so now Gideon has another chance to really apply that. Verse 15. Uh, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my church. I am the least in my Bible talk, right? <laughs> I mean, Gideon is like, look, I, how can I save Israel? I, I mean, I'm the snack guy. What am I going to do if I'm bringing snacks to the box? What difference does that make? I mean, I, I just show up. No one really talks to me. You know, it's just kind of, no one's really in my life. I'm just kind of struggling, kind of hanging on. How am I going to make a difference if my role is only this small? You know what? In the eyes of God, everyone's equal. The same God that's with you is the same God that's with the other person. The same God that's with you is the same God that's in your, that's moving your church, moving the church. Guys, go in the strength you have. Gideon still couldn't wrap his mind around that, right? But guess what? God was speaking to Gideon in a way that has never been spoken to him in his life. This is the first time he actually heard someone believe in him. And have, the, and have faith in him. And that is God. And that's how God is. He believes in every single person. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. He's like, look, I can use you for anything. But here's, here's the issue that's hard. Is that... We live in a world that wants to tell us who we are. We live in a world that wants to tell us what our value is. You know what the world says? You know, your bank account is who you are. The school you went to is who you are. Your credit report is who you are. Who your friends are defines who you are. How buff 
And how pretty I am is who I am. How many friends I have, plus the money, the house, the Facebook friends, the likes on Instagram, equals my value. But as a disciple of Jesus, how do we figure out our worth? How do we figure out our worth? You know, I had this 2600 no, Nissan Sentra that I just sold the other day. I mean, it was breaking down. I got a lot of car problems. This is the third time I've shared a car issue. Uh, but, I mean, it was beat down. But let's just say if I had a million dollar price tag that I put on it for sale. Let's just say. Right? And I'm like, alright, this car is a million dollars. And there's a guy who calls me up, comes to see it, he says, hmm, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I actually like this. How much you want to get? A million dollars. 2006 Nissan Sentra. <laughs> and he's like, I'll give you seven grand. And I go, deal. <laughs> and so he walks away with the car, pays seven grand for it. And I put million, right? And so why am I saying that? Your value is determined by how much it costs to buy you. Who, who bought you? Jesus bought you. With his blood. Which makes you valuable. Which makes, that's how you calculate how much you're worth. It's what it costs to buy you. Jesus sacrificed his life. Which means you are valuable in the eyes of God. If you individually was the only person that Jesus had to die for, he would still do it. If you were the only one. And that's how you calculate how much you're worth. We can't let our worth come from the world. You will be highly disappointed, highly insecure, highly discouraged. If your worth comes from what this world tells you who you are. we got to change the tide, guys. We can't let the world give us value. We're called by God because He values us and He bought us at a price. A price that we could never pay back. A price that only Jesus could pay with His blood on the cross. Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites. Leaving none alive. Wow. I mean, God, He tells Gideon, like, I'm going to be with you and you will strike down. You'll be completely victorious. Not one will be alive. And just a fast forward here Gideon actually ends up going with 300 men to fight an army of thousands. 300. That's it. That's all he had. As a matter of fact, he had more. And you know what God did? He said, You know what? Actually, you know, let a hundred guys go. This is, I mean, the, the number was at a couple thousand, and then God's like, you know, 3,000? No, no, no. 2,000? Okay. I'm sure as God was, you know, bringing the number even lower and lower, Gideon was like, How, what is going on right now, right? And so it goes all the way down to 300 men. Because God's like, I want to show off how much I can use you with your little strength. That's just what God is. That's what he does. It's like, I want to just show, just to make it even more amazing, I want you to just go in with the little strength you have so I can show you how powerful I am. God loves to show off. I love it. I love when God loves to show off like that. But that's the reality. That's the reality. I want to ask you this morning. I want to, I want to, I want to encourage, encourage you this morning. Go in the strength you have this week. Don't, don't worry about trying to get your, your resume up. 
Don't worry about trying to get all these different things. God is with you. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to, if you have too many things, actually eliminate a couple things and go with less things and see what God does. I mean, there's so many ways to work out this faith and see God work, but my encouragement is to grow in the strength that you have. God is going to use you powerfully. And that's what he did with Gideon, and they were victorious. God accomplished what he said that he was going to accomplish through Gideon, which was amazing. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. This is what God says to, to the nation. To his nation. He says, look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days. That you would not believe. Even if you were told. If God told you what you would do if you went in the strength, little strength that you had. Would you believe him? Like, would it be hard to believe if God really told you what would happen? Like, <laughs> that's what Gideon was feeling, right? Just like, whoa, like God told him that everything was going to go down. But guess what? He, he went. He did it. He said, you know what, God? And, and maybe, we don't know how long that time took for him to make that decision, but he did. He did. He said, you know what? I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to trust you. And he was victorious. So, guys, I want to encourage you. Wherever it is in your life, go in the strength that you have. Answer that call. But first, we have to see the reality. We've got to see the reality of the situations that we're in. We've got to see the reality of the losses and oppression of the world. And then we have to understand that God's calling us to go into the strength that we have. So let's go into, with the strength that we have this week. And let's, let's have miracles happen in God's church. All right, love you guys. Amen.